We're in the second half of Genesis 30 tonight. We're going to be talking about let me and my people go. All right, we'll be looking at the latter half of Genesis 30 as Jacob is on his journey of faith and gets to deal with a confrontation with Uncle Laban. Uncle Laban, whom we will find out he has been serving now for some 20 years before he finally makes the break. And, and of course, when we look at Laban, Laban's an Old Testament character. He's, he's quite a crafty guy, uh, not somebody that we would look up to. But I think that we all have Labans in our life. I don't know who your Labans are. I don't know what they look like. I don't know if your Labans are at work or school or, you know, friendships or a closer relationships than that. But hopefully you're not staring back at Laban in the mirror every morning because that, that's a personal problem. We have counseling for that. But anyway, let's go ahead and pray. <laughs> Father God, thank you so much for the Bible. It is so relevant, so alive, infused with your life and power, so eye-opening, instructive. It exhorts us, it corrects us, it looks deep into us, and we desire that the Bible would read us tonight so that we can be more like you. So we pray that as we watch Jacob's journey of faith, our journey of faith might come to clearer light what you're doing in our lives, Lord, and what you want to do in and through our lives. So we just want to lay this time at your feet tonight as we look at this section of Scripture and we look at Jacob and how you're transforming him into someone that you will eventually call Israel. And we thank you for that journey of faith that you have something, you have a finished product in mind that we don't always see, but you see it, Lord, and you're weaving uh, together what you want to do so that we might come out the other side more like your son Jesus Christ and it's our desire uh, tonight Lord to bow before you to hear your voice to hear what the spirit the Holy Spirit would say to us Lord and so just give us ears let us put aside the distractions that we brought into this place and let us be more molded uh, more changed from one degree of glory to another for your glory we pray in Jesus name Amen. So just like uh, grandfather Abraham and his dad Isaac, Jacob was on a journey of faith. He was being shaped and molded by the hand of God and God allowed Jacob to see himself in his uncle Laban. And it's always an eye-opening experience when you get to see yourself in somebody else or maybe more precisely here when you get to see your old self in somebody else. You know, we don't always think about this but I've been a Christian for almost three decades now, and sometimes we'll run into somebody who's maybe a fairly new Christian, or you know, maybe they're way back on their journey of faith, and sometimes you know, my wife and I will look at each other and we'll, like, we'll go like, what is going on? And then we'll just remind ourselves, do you remember where we were when we were first walking with Jesus Christ? Do you remember what a mess it was? Do you remember all the things that the Lord was working in our lives little by little, one by one, and we just can't forget that we all started somewhere on this journey. And for Jacob, Uncle Laban became kind of a shadowy figure of himself, and he was able to see his own sins of the past in Uncle Laban. And I mentioned a few sermons ago how horrible, it, how terrible and horrible it is when we see someone else committing our sins, but especially when they're committing those sins against us. And that's what Uncle Laban was doing to Jacob. For 20 years, Uncle Laban manipulated Jacob. And really, when you uh, tear back the veil and you take a good look at Uncle Laban, really what he was about was himself. He was about money. That's all he really seemed to care about. In fact, when we watch this, what we might call a, a preview of the Exodus here in the book of Genesis, we can see that Uncle Laban doesn't really seem to care all that much about his daughters and his grandchildren. He cares more about what he's going to miss out on if Jacob leaves. And Jacob will become Israel the nation of Israel will come from Jacob. And when I say this is a mini exodus or a preview of the exodus, it's this, that Jacob is going to have to break free from his uncle to walk into the full promises of God. And one of the application points for us tonight is that when 
we are on this journey of faith, one of the first things, or maybe, you know, maybe sometimes it's at the halfway point, or maybe it just never stops, is that God's gonna call us to break free from our labans in life. He's gonna show you things that are hindering your walk. He's gonna say, look, these are the sins that so easily entangle you, and you need to break free from those so that you might run with endurance this race that is marked out for you. That you might fix your eyes not on Laban, but on Jesus. You see, what God wants, one of the primary things he wants for his people is for us to be free. And Jacob, before he officially is named Israel, and before the people of Israel through his family ever end up in Egypt, and that whole story unfolds, which is the next book in our Bible, God's already doing a work in Jacob's life. And that's part of what he's doing in your life. He wants you to be free, but not just to be free to be free. He wants you to be free to serve him. He wants you to break free from the labans in your life so that you might be more available to love other people, to serve other people, namely to serve God and glorify him. And so it's for freedom that Christ has set us free, Galatians 5.1. So let's not go back to a life of bondage. In John 8, 32, Jesus talks about the truth, and if you know the truth, the truth will what? It will set you free. Jesus is the truth. His word is truth, and he prayed, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. God, no doubt, takes us just as we are, but I know we've all noticed he doesn't intend to leave you that way. So grace is an awesome gift and it's free and you can't earn it. The price of redemption is done, paid in full. You can't add one thing to it. But redemption is the beginning. Once you get redeemed and you come out of slavery, now God wants to do a work in your life. And he wants to make you a person of worship, a person of service, a person who can bless many people. And one of the beautiful things that God does is he even takes our past, he even takes the messes that we've been through, the decades that we've struggled, and he uses it for our own personal growth and ministry. Last time we were together, if you were with us last Wednesday, we, we had some fun together as we looked at chapter 30, and it was pretty, pretty interesting stuff. You know, we saw uh, Jacob, uh, you know, his, his 11 sons now have been born. One is on the way. He will be born later. The last one's gonna be Benjamin. Now he has 11 sons and a daughter through four different women. And we said if we wanted to package this, we could probably sell it to Jer Jerry Springer. And, uh, you know, it would make some interesting television. And there, were, there was these wrestling sisters. You remember the sisters wrestling? And one of them offered Bill Ha, and she said, Ha, here's Bill Ha. And then there was Zilpah. And, and Jacob didn't know whether he was coming or going. And then Reuben found the man rakes. This is all review, but he found this plant that seemed to be like an aphrodisiac. And he, Mommy, look what I found. And the sisters fought over that. And Jacob was sold back to Leah for one night. I mean, it was just crazy, crazy stuff. But from all that mess comes this, what we might call messianic family, because from this family will come the Messiah. And so Jacob has been struggling, though, you know, with Uncle Laban, he's been, he's been being stretched, man. He's been going through it. And just to, to give you an idea, go to chapter 31 for a second and look at verse 36. Jacob is gonna leave, and when he leaves, Uncle Laban's gonna pursue him. This is a preview of what we'll study next time. Chapter 31, look at verse 36. And just like the Pharaoh pursued Israel in the Exodus, so Laban pursues Jacob when he tries to exits, exit Uncle Laban's uh, grip. And this is 31, 36. Then Jacob became angry, 31, 36. Jacob became angry and contended with Laban, and Jacob answered and said to Laban, what is my transgression? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? Though you have felt through all my goods, what have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. These 20 years I've been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten the rams of your flocks, 39, that which was torn of beasts, I did not bring it to you or bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. You required it of my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. 
Thus I was. By day the, the heat consumed me, verse 40, and the frost by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These 20 years that Jacob was under Laban were difficult years. They were tough years. It seems like Uncle Laban never gave this guy a break. He worked hard day and night, and it was no picnic for Jacob. You know, sometimes the perception of Jacob is that he was a bit of a soft guy, and Esau was the man's man. But I tell you what, Jacob went through a lot of stuff, and Jacob became a shepherd. He became one who took care of the flocks and really everything that was under Laban's hand. And he says, uh, notice this, 41, he says, these 20 years I've been in your house, I served you 14 years for your two daughters. And we don't want to talk about that negotiation, do we? And six years for your flock. And you changed my wages 10 times. Uncle Laban was not a guy you could depend on. Some of you can relate to this if you've worked for smaller companies. You know, you may have shown up on one Friday looking for your paycheck and your boss gives you this kind of look like, uh, uh, we don't have the money. And that can be very devastating. Uncle Laban was always changing things. And here Jacob says, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac had not been for me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the toil of my hands, and he, so he rendered judgment last night. Now that's a preview, but that gives you an idea of what Jacob was going through as we return back to chapter 30. Jacob was working hard, but he was enriching Laban. And Laban was doing well because of Jacob's diligence, but also because of Laban's manipulation. I don't know if you are a person tonight that feels like you work in unfair conditions, working conditions, and you know, it just depends on what kind of company you work for and how that goes, but I know this, that a Christian is supposed to work hard no matter what the conditions may be until God changes your situation, you're called to be faithful, and that's what Jacob did. Jacob worked hard, not just when the boss was looking, Ephesians 6, 7, and 8, Chapter 6, verses 7 and 8 say, don't just try to please your boss when he's watching you, right? Because you work for another. See, ultimately, Jacob knew that he was working for God, and that's the way that we have to reconcile some of these situations, is I'm not just doing this for my boss. If that were the case, I might just say, you know what? I've had enough. But Jacob knew he was living his life for someone much higher than Laban. He was living it for the Lord. Now, we pick up the story in... Uh, chapter 30, verse 25. Now it came about when Rachel had born Joseph, so Joseph, his son, 11, that Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own place and to my own country. Something about the birth of Joseph caused Jacob to finally say, I'm done, I wanna move on. And we do know that Joseph becomes a type of Jesus and pretty much the rest of the book of Genesis will be about Joseph. And Joseph will be the man responsible for saving Israel through a series of events that took some, as I recollect, is something like 20 years. Um, And here's what happens. Joseph, by his brothers, gets sold into slavery and he gets taken off, you know, and he's, he's in this terrible situation and then he rises in the household of Potiphar you remember and he's an impressive guy and Potiphar entrusts everything to Joseph until Potiphar's wife starts to try to be with Joseph and she's not subtle he's just basically hubby's away let's let's be together lie with me lie with me and Joseph's like no I can't do that I can't sin against God or my master by doing this And she kept at it and kept at it. And finally, she grabbed his clothing and he ran out of there, you know, naked. And um, she accused him of trying to, to basically rape her. And Joseph ended up in prison. And he had to deal with the fact that he was an innocent man and yet he was tried and convicted. And he was languishing in a prison until... It came to be discovered that he was a man who could interpret dreams, you remember? And finally, he ends up before the Pharaoh, and he tells the Pharaoh what his dream means, and he gives the Pharaoh some advice, and the Pharaoh says, hey, uh, we've been looking for some good leadership around here, (laughs) and there's not a wise man like you that I've met since I've been here, so I tell you what, you're number two 
in Egypt. And finally, it is Jacob with his family that ends up before Joseph, and Joseph reveals the fact that he's Joseph. They thought he was dead. They didn't recognize him, and Joseph becomes a picture of Jesus. His own brothers rejected him. Many of them pushed him away, and yet he had come to be their salvation, and that's how Joseph, in many other ways, typifies Jesus Christ. And so Joseph comes to Laban, and he confronts him, and here's a point uh, for our application tonight. If you want to break free from your Labans, you have to confront them. You have to decide that you're going to deal with your sin or the things that have been uh, weighing you down or the things that have their grip into you. You have to face them. Facing things is hard, isn't it? Uh, when people say, you know, it, uh, just face your fears, right? That's an easy thing to say, but it's hard when you're afraid. <laughs> when your fear is fear, it's pretty hard to overcome it. But that's what Jacob had to do. He had to deal with Laban, and, and maybe it was hard for him to do this with Laban, I think partly because he wanted to be true to his commitments, but also because Laban was just a very a tricky, manipulative guy. But Joseph is born, and Joseph means Jehovah or Yahweh has added, and all of a sudden, it's time, and Jacob says, it's time. I, I want to move to my own place, look at verse 25, and to my own country. In essence, I want to go back to the promised land. And so Jacob now asks for his release, and he says, give me my wives, 26, my children for whom I have served you. Let me depart. If you have the New King James, it says, let me go. For you yourself know my service which I have rendered you. It's time for you to let me go. And when Moses came to the Pharaoh in Egypt, God told Moses, I want you to tell the Pharaoh, what was the line? Let my people go that they may worship me and serve me. They're not supposed to be serving you, Pharaoh. They're supposed to be serving me. Pharaoh becomes a type of Satan, Egypt is a type of the world, and Moses is a type of the deliverer or Jesus. And he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh held on to the people. Remember, the early negotiations were, who is this God? I don't know who this God is, and I'm not gonna let your people go. And then the Nile was turned into blood, and then frogs started croaking all around, and there were frogs on your kneading board, and frogs in your bed, and frogs on your head, and there was rivet and rivet and rivet. And on that one, Moses said, hey, Pharaoh, I tell you what. This time, you'll get to decide when the frogs go. When do you want the frogs to go? And Pharaoh, in a classic response, said, tomorrow. Just one more night with little froggy rivet. I'm getting used to the sound at night. In fact, he's my alarm clock now. It's just great. Tomorrow? Just one more night with the frogs? But isn't that how sin is, right? And then... It, you know, it happens plague after plague after plague. And then Pharaoh, he gets to the point where he says, you know, okay, I admit it, I've sinned. You're more righteous than I, Moses. And it seems like as it gets down the line of the 10 plagues and it gets a little further, he, he becomes a little bit more of a religious kind of guy. He says, uh, Moses, uh, you can go, but... Uh, don't go too far. Go ahead and you, you can sacrifice to your God, but stay within the land. And then there's another dialogue where it's, you can go, but are the little kids going to go with you too? And the Pharaoh was always trying to find ways to try to release Israel, but not all the way. And that's what sin wants to do. Like, you know, sometimes we feel like, well, can I, can I, can I just get away from it a little bit? I don't want to actually cross the border of freedom. I'll stay within, you know, the lines of the state. No, 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 no. It's time to be free. And Laban becomes a type of the Pharaoh, which, you know, is a head, at least in our context as we study the book of Genesis. And he says, look, I want my wives and I want my children and I want to leave. It's time to go. Let my people go. But Laban said to him, verse 27, there's always a but, right? And here's Laban. But Laban said to him, if now it pleases you, stay with me. 
I can't help but when I see that phrase, but think of Shrek. Stay with me. <laughs> Won't you stay with me? If it now pleases you, stay with me. I have divined. I've, the King James and New King James learn, say learn by experience, but the word here is divine and it's nakash, and we'll talk about it in a second. But here's Uncle Laban's response. Okay, that was a passionate speech, Jacob. It sounds great. You want to go. Okay, you want to go. I understand. You know, you got your family. You got a country. You got a promised land that God's promised to you. But just stay. Just stay with me because I've divined something. I've learned that the Lord has blessed me on your account. And you know, that's really worked out well for me. So I'd prefer that you stay because things are going well for me. So let's talk about how we can keep you here for me. Ever had a dialogue like that? And you're like, how did that get turned around again? <laughs> Weren't we just talking about me and me leaving? No, you see, I've, uh, you know, I don't know what he did, but we're gonna find out later that um, one of his daughters, I think it's Rachel, steals Laban's household idols. He had household idols. He had little, little idols in his house. And we might think, well, Laban was, wasn't he a worshiper of Yahweh? Apparently not fully. He had idols in his life. And somehow he divined that he was being blessed because of Jacob. And I said, that sounds a little weird, doesn't it? Well, see the word divined in, in most of your versions that you've got out there. It's nakash. Let me spell it for you. In English, we spell it N-A-C-H-A-S-H, nakash. The word means properly to hiss. You can even say it with a hiss. Nakash or whisper. And in fact, the word, or at least a close version of the word, was used for the serpent in Genesis 3 who was more crafty than all the creatures the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God really said? Right? This sneaky kind of crafty thing. And here's what Laban says. Hey, man, I, I don't know if, if you know, there was an ancient form of tarot cards back in the day or what they did. But somehow he got some information, at least this is what he says, that he's being blessed because Jacob is blessed by God. And he says, look, I, I divine this information and, and that's why I'm being blessed. It's because of you that I'm a blessed man. Um, you know what? Unbelievers can recognize the blessing of God on believers' lives. Ever been in that situation? Maybe you work for a company and your boss says, you know, you're, you're a real spiritual guy and boy, business is up since you've been working here and I don't know, quite know what to make of it, but could you talk to the man upstairs a little bit more for the company? I mean, you see, even unbelievers are terribly pragmatic. I don't know if you've noticed. If something works, they don't really care where it's coming from. All they care about is that it's working, right? And so, you know what? I, things are working out well ever since you've been here. Do you know that uh, in the ancient world, the serpent was viewed as possessing mystical wisdom as a demonic and hostile creature? And through much of Egypt's history, the pharaoh actually wore a cobra made of metal on the front of his headdress as a symbol of his sovereignty. The, the serpent or the nakash was tied to even ancient Egypt. And remember when Moses had the, the rod that became the rod of God and, and he threw it down and it became a serpent? And you remember that the, the uh, Egyptian uh, magicians were able to duplicate that? How they did it, we don't know. We don't know if it was the occult. We don't know if it was some sort of trick. But do you remember what happened? Moses' serpent? Serpent swallowed the serpents of the magicians. A glorious scene. If you've seen the movie, The Ten Commandments, how many of you have seen the movie? Praise the Lord. Mandatory viewing, by the way. Uh, it's an awesome scene. And there's shock on the, on the faces of everybody in Pharaoh's court. So you had insects. You had uh, things hopping around in Egypt. You had uh, locusts come down. But each time something happened to the Pharaoh, he released his grip, but he didn't want to fully let them go. And Jacob is kind of a preview of that exodus. And each of us are on a journey. Each of us are on an exodus, and there's things that want to keep their grip on us. And God says, no, I want you to be free from that stuff to serve me. 
So here's the dialogue. Uncle Laban says, look, you know, you've been a blessing around here, young man. Let's talk. And he said, uh, he continued, he said, name me your wages and I will give it. <laughs> Can you imagine this? Uncle Laban, you've changed my wages 10 times, man. I don't, even, I don't even care if you put something in writing. I don't think this is going to be a good career move for me. I've, in fact, I've heard this before. Because early on when, when there was a dialogue between Uncle Laban and Jacob, do you remember? Uncle Laban said, oh, you're a fine young man. Too bad you're broke. But you're a fine young man. You've been here for 30 days. Things are getting a little long. So, hey, let's talk. Name your wages, boy. And Jacob said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Did I speak that clearly? Seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Recorded in scripture. That was the dialogue. But what did Uncle Laban do? Snuck in the older daughter. Apparently, the wage thing is not always something you can count on with Uncle Laban, right? So when Jacob hears this, you know, maybe Jacob's got a little gray hair now. He's, he's learned some stuff about his uncle. You know, you have some people tell you some things and how seriously I take a person really depends on their integrity. If somebody's burned me a hundred times and I can't depend on their word anymore, I'm going to take what they say with a grain of salt. Amen? But if someone is a man or a woman of their word, then I'm going to take seriously their words and I'll say this to you. Let me ask you, what kind of person do you want to be? A person who, when your yes is yes, people say his yes is yes. And your no is no? Or is it an iffy kind of situation when you speak? Well, for Jacob, he was a conniver and a manipulator, but God was changing him and even using Uncle Laban to change him because he could see himself in Laban. I don't know what kind of work God's doing in your life tonight. I don't know what kind of people he's got around you. We hear Christians say, sometimes God puts difficult people in your life to stretch you. And you're like, did you know that you're the difficult person? <laughs> what? No, I'm just the one that gives you these pearls of wisdom. I find you difficult right now. Don't tell me that. God puts difficult people in your life to make you better. You're like, well, then why don't you come work over there? <laughs> right? But you know, I have to confess, I think there's something to this. Some years ago, we were having, uh, we were at a church in Orange and we were having an outdoor potluck and there was this couple that would come to the church and it would be 95 degrees outside and they would both come with, they'd have, you know, those little uh, pullover jackets on and they would zip them up all the way to their nose. They're very strange people. In fact, we thought maybe they were from another planet because they rarely spoke and then when they did it, it was something weird. So <laughs> anyway, so... I'm sitting with my buddies at the potluck. It's very inconvenient when the Lord speaks to you at the potluck. And something like this, go over. They're sitting all alone. Go over and sit with those people. I'm like, no, that was a potato. No, a potato salad was sitting out too long. <laughs> Can't be you, Lord. Go over and sit with us. All right. <laughs> Say to the people at your table, anybody hear that? Anybody else getting that same message? No, apparently this is for you, Michael. And I went over. And I have to tell you, it was awkward. But then they both zipped down their jackets and they spoke normally. It was amazing. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. What are you doing? Hey, it was a normal conversation. So sometimes we just got to break through <laughs> some of these fears. Uh, no, I didn't think that was a good opening line to ask them why they zipped it up to their nose, but <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that we ever even got there, but name your wages. Come on, boy. Tell, tell me. Well, let, let's enter into a negotiation. <laughs> James like, no, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with how past negotiations worked out with you, Uncle Laban. Maybe another application point tonight. Don't let the Labans in your life manipulate you. Don't let the Labans in your life manipulate you. How many of you have run into Uncle Laban too many times to count? And he's given you the same pitch over and over again, and somehow you think it's going to be different 
on the 300th time. Okay, Uncle Laban, do you really, 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 really mean it this time? Oh, yes. You can trust me, boy. Name your wages. <laughs> what? Now, Labans are not always people. Sometimes they're things that we do. Sometimes they're sins that so easily entangle us. Things that we go to again and again. And we get a promise, you know, uh, it'll be different this time. You'll, you'll be fine. Go ahead and name your price. No, there's nothing that's worth that. And so Laban's main concerns, of course, were his own selfishness. And Jacob knew that in his heart of hearts. And let's pick it up at verse 29. But he said to him, you yourself know how I have served you and you and how your cattle have fared with me. For you had little before I came, verse 30. And it has increased, literally it's teamed to a multitude. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turn. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? Laban, everything I do is it's going into your pocket. But Jacob does say, I believe the Lord has done this. I believe you're blessed because the Lord has blessed me. And that's why the blessings come. And this shows you some growth in Jacob. And Jacob's saying, now, look, I want to provide for my own house now. I, I'm tired of lying in your pockets. I'm tired of believing your stories. I want to make my own way. And there's a time to make a break, folks. There's a time to decide that you're going to stop feeding the Labans in your life, and you're going to start doing what God's called you to do in the promised land. Amen? It's not easy, but this is what God calls us to do. And... Jacob says, look, I've, I've, been, I've been diligent, and that's good, but now it's time to build my own house. Now maybe Jacob might say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So he, that is Laban, said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. I'm not sure if you got earwax, Uncle Laban. Uh, are we failing to communicate? If you will do this one thing for me, I will again pasture and keep your flock. You're like, oh no, don't do a checkup. He's pulled you into the negotiation again. Laban wasn't giving up. One writer says, Sly Laban knew that he owed Jacob nothing because Jacob already had received two wives given exchange for 14 years of labor. We also found out about the animals. Obviously, if Jacob wanted even a penny more for travel expenses, he would have to indenture himself to more labor. Nice, close quote. In other words, Uncle Laban knew that the moment that they had a negotiation, he technically didn't owe Jacob anything. And all he was trying to do is to get him into another contract. And Uncle Laban's contracts were long. I know when he served seven years for Rachel, the Bible says it seemed like but a few days, but it was still seven years. I heard a pastor preaching on this subject, and he says, he was saying, yeah, when the first negotiations went on, it was still seven years, and he said, you can't con a con man. Even if you are a con man, one con man can't con another con man. Con pish? Or, no, that. So J Jacob was like tired of hitting his head against the same wall. It's hard to break free from bondage, isn't it? It's hard to get things to loosen their grip on us. And so we also, this is Galatians 4.3, also we, while we were children, we were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to, that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And now we cry out to him, Abba, Father. So Jacob makes a proposal. Here it is, this is verse 32. He says, let me pass through your entire flock today, removing from there every speckled and spotted sheep and every black one among the lambs, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and such shall be my wages. So my honesty, 33, will answer for me later when you come concerning my wages. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, will be considered stolen. And Laban said, good, good, good boy. Let it be according to your word. And you're like, wait a minute. What just happened there? 
basically Jacob just made a negotiation for very rare animals that come along just every so often. They're a very small percentage of the flock. You say, why would he do that? Such a deal indeed, you might say. Here's one writer. He says, normally shepherds contracted to shepherd for 10 to 20% of the flock as payment as well as a percentage of the wool and milk products. But this was extraordinarily generous and apparently stupid. Most sheep are all white and all goats are, are all one dark color, black or brown. Mottled and striped sheep and goats are comparatively rare. Incredibly, Jacob offered to remove the few multicolored sheep from Laban's flock as his compensation and then shepherd the plain-colored animals for Laban. When they bred, the common plain-colored would remain Laban's and the rare variegated Jacob's. From every angle, it was a deal for Laban. There were no loopholes. He could not lose. Laban said, good, let it be as you have said, verse 34. Likely, when he got out of Jacob's sight, he began to smile, then chuckle, and then roar with laughter. He tried not to look smug, but he could not help it. He inwardly snared at that fool Jacob. He had to be thinking, I got him again. I got him again. This is walking away. Yeah. Stupid boy. So many mouths to feed. So little brain cells. You know, this is how this guy thought. And imagine this. He's got 11 grand, 12 grandchildren, including Dinah, that he should be concerned get fed well, but... That's not what Laban's about. What caused Jacob to make this deal? The only possible answer, says Boyce, is his faith that God was going to bless him in spite of the cards not being stacked in his favor. He had been around animals for a long time and he knew that solid-colored parents do give birth to some speckled or spotted offspring. He, he would not be asking God for a miracle, but he would be depending on God to alter the percentages if he was to prosper, close quote. And there was more of a problem because Laban wasn't done being tricky. Look at verse 35. So he, Laban, removed on that day the striped and spotted male goats and all the speckled and spotted female goats, every one with white in it and all the black ones among the sheep and gave them into the care of his sons. And the next verse says that he put them a distance of three days journey. It's pretty tough when you've made your negotiation on the smaller part of the flock and then your uncle takes them too. Man, this guy was tricky. Oh, it's a good deal. It's a great day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he goes over and he takes away Jacob's small portion. Some of you are in that position. You know, you feel like you've given and given and given and given and then the little that you keep for yourself, they want to take that too. And you're like, Lord, is there any? Are you watching this stuff happen? Do you see what I'm going through here? I think we could rename Uncle Laban to Uncle Scrooge. And he put a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flock. So um, the care of his sons, he gave his sons uh, these rare ones and put the three days' journey, and there's Jacob. Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. Do you think he noticed? Let's see. Uh, I think I saw three or four speckled ones around and the other day. And nope, 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 nope. What is going on here? <laughs> Ever had one of those moments? Uncle Laban! <laughs> right? He's done it again. <laughs> what do you do in situations like that when it seems like Someone's robbing you, coming and going. How do you think he felt? How do you think he dealt with it? How do you? Look at verse 37. Jacob took some fresh rods or sticks of poplar. So Jacob sprung into action and almond and plain trees and peeled white strips in them, exposing the white which was in the rods. And he set the rods which he had peeled in front of the flocks in the gutters or it means to hollow out or perhaps a channel or watering box, even in the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink, 38, and they mated when they came to drink. So the flocks mated by the rods of the sticks and the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. Now, some of you might say, what in the world is going on here? 
Well, there was some folklore back in the day, and apparently it's still around in some superstitions, that if someone was around something that they visibly saw in kind of a prenatal situation before a birth, that maybe that could impact the way the birth came out. And uh, this isn't scientific necessarily, but this is something that it's possible that uh, Jacob uh, believed this kind of thing. And we'll, we'll talk about this in a second, but one writer says, superstitious folklore allowed that a vivid sight during mate, mating would mark the outcome of the pregnancy. Here in the story of uh, Jacob's manipulation of sticks peeled to imitate strips was intended to visually influence the plain animals to variegation. You could call this visual prenatal influence, that is, that hopefully the outcome would be in his favor. But Jacob was not wholly superstitious in the process because his selective breeding was eminently reasonable. Now let's take a look. Look at verse 40. Jacob separated the lambs, 40, and made the flocks face toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban and he put his own herds apart, did not put them with Laban's flock. Moreover, it came about whenever the stronger of the flock were mating that Jacob would place the rods in the sight of the flock in the gutters so that they might mate by the rods or the sticks. But when the flock was feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. He goes on to say, Indeed, there may be a scientific basis for Jacob's success. The esteemed commentator Nahum Sarna cites an article in the Jewish Encyclopedia that argues that more vigorous of the flock, the more vigorous of the flock in contrast to the feebler, were single-color hybrids. The hybrids are characterized by what is called heterosis or hybrid vigor. Therefore, by careful observation as to which animals are more energetic, the breeder can determine which single-colored animals carry recessive genes for spottedness. Sarna goes on, goes so far as to suggest that Jacob may have gone through that elaborate procedure of arranging the peeled sticks as to disguise his empirical technique. Jacob's peeled rods were similar to Rachel's mandrakes. The mandrakes did not produce fertility and neither did Jacob's sticks. The scriptures are explicit that God opened Rachel's womb, and they're explicit that God is the one who blessed the livestock of Jacob. And so you say, well, what's the point, Pastor Michael? The point is to start peeling some sticks. You say, what? Here's what I mean. Sometimes when things are going wrong in our lives, we sit around and we mope and do nothing. And then we do something like this. We say, well, I know as a Christian I'm supposed to pray, and you are supposed to pray, and we should pray. But there is such a thing as a combination of prayer and action. Pray and peel some sticks. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Charles Stanley used to say that God does not steer a parked car. The Nehemiah principle is to pray and to act. Pray and gather information. Jacob did something. Whether anything that he did really mattered in the end, God saw that it was an act of faith. And maybe that's really the lesson here. Maybe Jacob's activity was more than anything else simply an act of faith. God, I believe you're gonna bless me, but I'm still gonna be active and I'm still gonna do something. Now, we don't wanna get the cart before the horse and say that just by our doing something, that means that that's gotta move God. No, God moves but I think he does honor our faith and activity, amen? And if we sit around and we say, I know that I saw that commercial, uh, that guy, he shows up at people's doors with big checks for the rest of your life. I'm gonna pray, right? Look, you can pray about that, I guess. <laughs> if you win, all we want is 10%. So, you know, talk about... <laughs> but look, I think that's what Jacob is doing. I think Jacob is being active and saying, Lord, he's done it again, but I believe that you're greater than all that uh, Laban thinks that he's able to do to me here. Um, take a look at chapter 31. Look at verse one. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons, 31.1, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's and from what belonged to our father, he has made all this wealth. And Jacob saw the attitude of Laban, and behold, it was not friendly toward him as formerly. 
Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to his flock in the field and said to them, 31.5, I see your father's attitude that it is not friendly toward me as formerly, but the God of my father has been with me. And you know that I've served your father with all my strength. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages 10 times. However, would you note it, Bible students, God did not allow him to hurt me. Some of you need to mark that tonight. Because you have a Laban in your life, or maybe multiple Labans, and you have been mistreated, and you're wondering what's the outcome gonna be? Well, Jacob says God didn't allow him to hurt me. Maybe stretch me, but not hurt me. If he spoke thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flock brought forth speckled. And if he spoke thus, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock brought forth striped. Man, I was hitting gold every time I pulled the lever. It was awesome. Thus God has taken away your father's livestock and given them to me. Do you see what Jacob says? God did this. God was the one behind it. Even when your father tried to manipulate everything, and it came about at the time when the flock were mating. And here we get a little more, bit more insight into why Jacob did what he did, that I lifted up my eyes and I saw in a dream, and behold, the male goats which were mating were striped, speckled, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up now your eyes and see that all the male goats which are mating are striped, speckled, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now arise, leave this land, and return to the land of your birth. Just in case you wondered, Jacob, I see what he's doing to you. And I have been on a ladder. Do you remember the ladder called Jacob's ladder? Do you remember that angels were ascending and descending on that ladder? And later in Genesis 32, we will find that angels go and meet Jacob. And this whole time, even when you didn't see it, heaven was working on your behalf. Praise God. 20 years, folks. That's a long time. And I'm sure on those hot summer days and those cold, frosty nights, Jacob was probably going like this, shaking a little bit, going, oh, God, I don't know where you are. It would be nice to see an angel right now. Maybe he could keep me warm. And look, that didn't mean that Jacob didn't have to go through his junk and stuff. But it did mean that God knew exactly what was going on and God was faithful. And I want you to see in verse 43 as we end chapter 30 for tonight, the man, that is Jacob, became exceedingly prosperous. He had large flocks of female and male servants and camels and donkeys. The ESV says this man increased greatly. Are you willing to entrust everything to God? Are you willing to take a leap of faith even if it looks like you're getting the small end of the deal and trust God? That's what Jacob did. And Jacob, you know, I told you there's a type of the exodus here and, and Jacob is about to leave the clutches of Uncle Laban. God's been working on his behalf. One writer says, what we have here in Jacob's life is a mini preview of redemptive history because Jacob's exile in Mesopotamia is a microcosm of what would happen in macrocosm to Israel in the later exile to Egypt. Just as Jacob's family multiplied in his exile, so the tribes of Israel would multiply to a vast multitude by the time of the exodus from Egypt. Just as Jacob would so prosper in his exile that Laban felt himself to be plundered, so also Israel would plunder the Egyptians and leave with basically all their stuff. Just like Jacob left Uncle Laban, so Israel would leave Egypt with all these uh, magnificent treasures. Right now we are in an exile, my brothers and sisters. We're in a world that Jesus says, you know, we're to be in the world, but not, what, of the world. We're, we're aliens and strangers passing through, and we're heading to a promised land, and what God wants us to be is free and preparing for that day when we meet him. And the, the ultimate exile that we were in was sin, and Jesus Christ came to be our deliverer. And all of these uh, pictures and images they all tell a story of redemption history. They all tell a story about people who were once 
enslaved and now free, and that's what we are in Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean life's always gonna be easy. It doesn't mean you're not gonna have your Uncle Laban's, but it means that you are gonna find a God who's precious and faithful to the end, amen? Father God, we come before you tonight, and we're just grateful for your faithful hand. As we see in the life of Jacob, a man that you are changing through circumstance and difficulty, a man who would come out the other side more perfected, grown. In fact, his name, at least some scholars say his name moves from conniver to Israel, which means governed by God. That's what we want to be, Lord, governed by you, having your hand of blessing upon us, no matter what we might face, whether it's hot summer days or cold frosty nights or times when we feel alone and you know maybe we're even wondering what's going on and then you remind us that you're there sometimes you remind us in messages like this sometimes you speak to us even in our dreams but we know that you are faithful and we know you came to rescue us from our own Egypt our own Uncle Laban's Lord and you have made us free and I just pray that that freedom tonight would permeate our souls so we can move forward in faith and know that we're in your more than capable loving hands. And whenever we doubt it, we just need to take a closer look and see nail prints in those hands, in those, those feet, in your precious side to know you are for us and not against us. Keep your head and heart bowed. If you've not met Christ as your Lord and Savior, tonight can be your night to trust in him. He came to rescue you, but you must Follow him, receive him and follow him. If you need to rededicate your life tonight, now would be the time. If you've over, been overcome by a Laban or Labans in your life, it's time to break free by the power of Christ. And Lord, for this precious church, I pray that you would just continue to set us more and more free as we walk closer and closer with you. We pray that in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Would you stand?